going from zero to horny teenager in three days. It's Veecher, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I'm a clone with all of LaVar Burton's talents and memories, but none of the production team's animosity. I'm your co-host. Peter, you sort of already jumped to the grandest revelation of them all when it comes to this episode, but why don't you tell us what it is first? This is uh, Star Trek Enterprise, Season 3, Episode 10, first aired November 19th, 2003, written by Manny Koto, which apparently is a name we need to keep an eye on because this guy is going to become a co-producer, I believe. Correct. Directed by the infamous LeVar Burton, who somehow this gem of a script slipped through the cracks and was somehow able to end up in LeVar's hands despite... Everyone knowing damn well that LeVar Burton is not allowed to get good scripts. What was the name of the episode? Similitude. I had to try and make you pronounce it because that's like your thing. You know, they say I got to give the people what they demand is you try (laughs) to butcher things when you talk, when you try to pronounce them. I butchered my intro, so I think they'll be satiated. You know, it's funny. These uh, borderline role playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, vampire, whatever, like things that we know damn well uh or i don't know the way we know how to pronounce it and then seeing some other type of media present it so i, I what do they say in this one like simulacrum or something and it's like no man it's simulacrum. simulacrum yeah 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 thanks magic the gathering that's why i know that one <laughs> uh I'm, vampire gave us that one too i guess yeah you said it though like a plus script and Somehow in LeVar's hands, despite what seems to be just a series of dog shit he's been given in the past, this is the first episode of Star Trek Enterprise I willingly watched twice, specifically because I wanted to take further note of some of my favorite scenes to say this is my favorite episode of the show that we have seen thus far uh, is, well, that's, that's putting it very mildly. This is excellent, and it deserves to be spoken of among the better episodes of Trek overall. Absolutely. Uh, how Enterprise was able to tell this story to the degree it did with a cast that I still think remains largely, while not unlikable, certainly not lovable. Yeah. Um, really speaks to the strength of the script some global plot positioning it was able to leverage specifically the Zindi war and the pressure on Archer. Uh, And I think by not letting Archer be really the focus of the episode, but still be a major part of it, did a lot of service to it. And while I wouldn't say this is my favorite episode of Enterprise, like this isn't one I would go back and chain watch like uh, zombie Vulcan ship, I think was a I liked more. I still recognize that this is a solid ass episode. This is an emotional episode. This one takes you on a real journey. It's 100% dependent on performance as well in a way that, like you said, this is a cast that it's not without talent, but it has not managed to summon up this level of dramatic ability so far in its run. Uh, and this It's everything from the kind of tentpole, you know, confrontation that you would expect in a big moral quandary 
to the small ways in which characters demonstrate their emotional state as the 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 journey uh proceeds special recognition specifically uh for yeah connor trainer who plays a different version of his character that is ever so slightly different enough that you can tell that this is a a separate individual that has had a different life experience and that adds so much to the scenes that he's in and the conversations he's having because he is very much like trip but he is not quite specifically not just because they say so but because the clone trip is it's not as arrogant he's he's a little softer he's a little more unsure you know he's very he has very, a lot of elements of his personality but he also has elements of a sort of a blank slate and it can be hard to pull that off right that's a very tight window you have to get into and he not got into it here and i think that really made all of the difference well going back to character driven performance you know you said that this is something that we haven't seen out of this cast and that's not their fault i mean they they just have not had the opportunity to tell a story like this because as has been pointed out enterprise is a wannabe action adventure tv show that features some sci-fi elements and most of the time i think it's some real two-dimensional storytelling where the good guys come in and there's a bad gunfight and they win and then they move about you know, move along their day. And this is some real, this is some real next generation storytelling here, right? This is a real budget friendly episode. I dare say this is a bottle episode. Mm, No, they've got some pretty fancy stuff going on with the B plot uh, in terms of the external dilemma facing the ship in that nebula. But, uh, this is this is a great moral quandary episode, and it really gives everybody involved a great chance to spread their wings and go in emotional directions that previous scripts just never afforded. So it felt like like a DS9 episode to me. Like th- that's the kind of story this is. This would have fit perfectly as a DS9 episode. Changed the plot elements to some Dominion War shit. That's what this show that show was like. And this fits perfectly in with that late nineties, early two thousands cloning quandary, right? Yeah. When was Dolly? Mm, good question. I want to say that was like mid mid to late nineties. So Dolly was the first cloned man known yeah. publicly known anyways. I mean, who the hell knows what's going on behind closed doors? Uh, you know, other than the tabloids was what's the man bat? What is that star? Is that star? It was star. Yeah. Even throw in Jurassic park. Right. That's I think when cloning and the dangers of cloning really stepped in to the public limelight. But instead of this being the threat of creating monsters, uh, this taps into the other part of the conversation, which was basically creating organ farms and the ethics involved in that. So we open up with uh, a shot of a eulogy that. Archer's giving from a balcony talking about an individual who's, you know, laid down their life for the betterment of the ship and this and that. And then we pan up and there's trip in his uniform and it's, Oh gosh, what a shocker trip died, which we all know damn well trip ain't dead. And then you go from this solemn ass 
funeral. <laughs> right into that bogus opening with their upbeat banjo or whatever's going on there. <laughs> and then right and right into that to let's be horny on Mayhem uh Enterprise, where we've got T'Pol in her children's clothing massage uniform. Uh, you've got Trip with his shirt off, and they're touching each other's feet. Yeah, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, <laughs> Trip talking right to uh, to Paul's Vulcan booty and those tight ass hip huggers. I'm just kind of like immune to it now, you know. Like, mm-hmm. yep. Lavar Burton's he, he's he's pretty upfront Christian, right? I I think so. Yeah. Was this someone in the script saying, LeVar, we're going to give you the script, but God forbid if there's one butt shot that's out of place. <laughs> like, you know how the bills get paid around here, LeVar. Mm-hmm. You get Jolene Playlock's ass in center frame. You you get this shot exactly the way you know we want it, or you're not getting any more work. It's trip going on about the engines and whatever the fuck the Paul's talking about. And again, it's just like every time we get one of these scenes, there's less clothes involved. Like at this point, I, just get rid of the fucking massage and have these guys oiled up naked playing Twister on the floor because. I mean, it even ends with like a a, a booby joke of like she's like bent over yeah. her, his face and is like, well, I do love new, <laughs> new experiences, new challenges, like while staring right at her boobs. Like, yeah, you just just being that blatant now. eh? OK, I mean, we've we've talked it to death. It's. It is what it is. Although it does uh, then transition using a cool overhead shot of the NX-01 as it flies by. I don't know if you saw if you kind of noticed that, but no, I, my mind was just lingering on to Paul's boobies, uh, as I'm sure most people. You know what? Why even bother putting special effects in? It could just be a picture of a paper bag and just have her on a trampoline, people, just jumping, you know, between scenes. I'm saying whatever the follow up shot is to that, like who, who's really paying attention at that point? Uh, so I've got a Starfleet SOP entry I want to put in for the, the bit here. Okay. And it is when dealing with the fate of the world and you are the only ship between life and, uh, complete eradication, do not engage in theoretical warp physics exercises. I I agree with that SOP, although I do think that the rationale for the test makes sense. They are needing to go faster, more efficiently, so they can cover the ground necessary to succeed. Trip's like, I think I got this licked. All I have to do is kind of clamp down on the pressure and compress this variance and constrain it when we're at high warp so that we can travel at high warp more smoothly and we can cover more ground. To this point, I think they've only really gone warp five, like full times, five times or less. Yeah, I know there was the Vulcan fallen heroes, a couple other ones. And speaking of the Vulcans, and maybe even throwing back to Twilight, the Vulcans know what's on the line here. Uh, The Zindi wrecked the shit out of Earth with their probe, and. I don't know. At what point would it become appropriate for the Vulcans to say, yeah, you guys need help here. Let us give you some extra theoretical physics uh, equations here to to upgrade some of your ships since you guys are literally on the verge of eradication. 
There is a scene in an episode in season four where I feel like they finally address these questions. There's these lingering of like, why are you guys always a impediment and not a partner? Like, why, why don't you like us? Basically, like we've never we've only ever wanted to be like partners with you. Why this recalcitrance to share? Why? Why all of this? And they finally do address it in a way that wraps that question up nicely. So it'll be some time before we're there, but I look forward to it. What was the. There was an episode. Was it the more trip gets hand babies? Yeah. Oh, I, I can't forget when Trip got a hand baby. But was it in that one where they say, hey, here's a planet. Do you recognize this planet? And they're like, no. And it's like, yeah, because we uplifted this group. And within, you know, 20 years, they killed each other off. I wasn't the hand baby episode. Or was that uh, Voyager I'm thinking of? Yeah, there, that, that sounds like a plot we've watched. I can't tell you because when. I think it jumps out with the jump scares like Aah! and it's like, yeah, see, they're irradiated and they're running off <clears throat> like this was a beautiful planet and everything was great. Oh, are you thinking of the episode when Joe Carey dies when they like got the probe and then like made unregulated, you know, antimatter reactors and blew their own planet up? No, and- because maybe seven and nine was involved, but it, it was a good example of hey, <laughs> spoilers for Voyager. Joe Carey dies. <laughs> Let me <laughs> show you. Of, he ran out of weed that he had stashed in yeah. Cargo Bay three. So they killed his character off, but someone's on a holodeck or, or some sort of holographic system. And like, let me show you something. Here's a beautiful city. Do you, do you recognize this place? And they said, no, and it's because they don't exist anymore. We shared a technology. Uh, everybody died and then like the mutant ravenger jumps out and you see that it's like this post-apocalyptic wasteland and god what was that from hopefully someone will, will remind us it had to got, be a voyager episode for the it holiday sounds year. familiar i cannot place exactly where that's from uh but i think that would be a good reason as to why Vulcans haven't shared technology if they say, you know, there was a promising race. We uplifted them with our technology. They grossly abused it. The civilization collapsed and we had to vow to never do that and let people find their own way again, which is kind of like proto. I think that's a little different, though, than like the situation where, you know, Earth's on the raggedy edge, you know, like they got to solve this problem and you don't necessarily want to get involved yourself because then you're committing yourself to their defense. But be like, hey, here's how you make your warp drive go warp seven and here's some shields get out you know get after it like yeah there is a reason they ultimately start to discuss as to why they don't do that and you know is it good is it bad is good enough we'll we'll talk about when it comes but it's interesting you're picking up on that because i feel like the writers got a better sense of this particularly going into season four and started to try and and tackle this but as they as they go through what ended up being a really good way to kind of wrap these questions up. Well, again, the the goal here is not to get the ship up to warp six. It's to be able to use warp five comfortably longer. And instead yeah. of, you know, doing warp five bursts here and there to be able to really use the engine to its full extent. So is now the best time to try out uh, theoretical warp physics? Probably not, but I think really what this a major theme of this episode is uh, high stakes, high risk, looking for high reward. 
And they do the test, trying to roll the dice, get the hard six. Unfortunately, it is a snake eyes. And what would happen is that while the theory works to create the stable high warp field, it is also sensitive to disruption in a way that ends up being nearly catastrophic to the ship. Uh, they hit a, a patch of metal magnet crap, and that metal magnet crap uh, throws the engine into whack. It goes on a runaway trajectory to potentially go to breach. Trip has to uh, essentially heroically like start pulling plugs and get the thing shut down before it explodes. Uh, but in the process of that, everything is starting to kind of fry and explode as it all gets overloaded. And while he is successful in saving the ship, the last IED planted into the warp area gets him and gets him good. And he winds up uh, severely injured on the floor. Yeah, he gets thrown into the the banister for a nice backbreaker and then a good scene of his head bouncing off the floor as he falls down. They make you make sure that it's like, yeah, he got fucked up. You know, they give him the slow motion shots. Again, this is pre-Federation technology, right? Here's another good SOP since I didn't do one last time. Um, put thick pad carpeting on all floors. Yeah. You remember engineering in uh, Enterprise D, they had carpeting in there. You know why? Because enough poor engineers fell and busted their head on concrete floors that they learned a hard lesson. You know what? Make it so that it's like a, a one of those playgrounds for kids where it's like that yeah. the rubber. The spongy you know, foam The stuff. spongy stuff. Coat <laughs> the whole grip. fucking engine room in that. Great grip. You spill some space grease or Vox Sola come on the floor. It's the reduced slip hazard. And if you do fall and bust your head, you've got some nice padding in there. It's like, and when you come back to Jupiter Station and you tell them that you want the floor replaced with something rubber, and they're going to be like, why? And you just like, you take your head off and it's just like all of those head wounds, you know, just like, just like you've collected all of this traumatic brain injury. And you're like, this is why, boys. I don't know how to do math anymore. Yeah. I've, I've, lost, I've lost 80% of my intellect. You know, I think they talk about people's true calling in this episode. Maybe Archer's true calling was to be an engineer so he could have gotten some uh, head wounds that didn't require conflict with alien races. No, you see, it's part of the thrill for him. It's why it's so deeply sexual. <laughs> the last... to, to make someone get all sweaty and give him a head wound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. It excites him. Uh, so they get fucked pretty good on this thing. They end up in a nebula that from the exterior shot, you can see particulate matter flying around approaching the ship. It kind of looks like swarms of bees. Uh, and we get a neat scene where they've got a cutaway of the engine where there is a jagged hole with shit sticking out. There's an engineer in there with a blowtorch and DePaul supervising. And she's like, uh, yeah, this shit's all fucked up. It's going to take a while to fix. Trip sure has his work cut out. But you know what? Archer's got some bad news. Trip is seriously hurt. Has brain injuries that has rendered him into a coma and he will not survive in his present state for very long. However, Phlox has a uh, alternative treatment plan. And this is, Phlox is very well used in this episode in a couple different ways. And in this first instance, he is well used in that no Federation doctor would ever recommend, hey, I've got this creature that I typically just use. It's like secretions as a, as a mild, like antiviral, 
but also it's got this super off the books heretical tech <laughs> where you can use it to clone someone. And That's I can some t- Rick Sanchez shit. <laughs> like, hey Morty, listen, we're gonna grow another trip, and then I'm gonna take the other trip's brain. And I'm going to take pieces of it. I'm going to put it in old trip. And that's how we're going to heal him. But the bad news is that this clone is only going to live for like two fucking weeks. And there's really nothing we can do about that. Also, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> like, Never been tested with humans. People don't even know this shit is possible. I like, I went to the, some secret society meeting where there was like, a whole bunch of masks and it was like a whole eyes wide shut thing. People were fucking and I'm a Denoblian and I'm into that because I like to watch. And that's why I found out about this. So how about it? You want to do this? You want to do this shit? You would not see McCoy or Crusher or the EMH recommend this shit ever. This is the last scene where you're going to see Jonathan Archer looking well-groomed. I like that. I like that and too. Normally the makeup job on Scott Bakula just consists of uh, some red makeup smeared on his forehead where we are expected <laughs> to believe it was a head wound. But this one uh, makes Archer go down a very ugly moral staircase. And each subsequent scene after this, he has more five o'clock shadow, uh, more signs that he is not getting good sleep. That he is not happy. His hair looks, you know, we go back to the Voyager playbook. You can tell what state the captain is in by the status of their hair. And he looks at a uh, flocks and he's like, why would you even fucking bring this up to me? This is. This is ugly on many levels. Uh, Earth at this point, And again, World War Three is so fucking goofy. Was World War Three part of the eugenics wars? No, it was after eugenics wars are after this point eugenics wars were supposed to happen in the 90s and more there's, there's no canon explanation for the eugenics wars they act like that's just you know just something that nebulously happened in the past but when they talked about them in the T- in tos it was supposed to happen in the 1990s and world war three happened in 2000s like in the 2030s 2040s so at this point Earth should already have reasonable uh, moral framework in which to view cloning, genetic engineering, and everything else. And I don't think that's to the detriment of this episode. Like, Archer's not like, oh, this is, you know, strictly forbidden by uh, Earth law or whatever. I think that's communicated by the fact he is repulsed by the idea. Uh, and it's a follow-up scene with T'Pol where she is reporting on engine repair progress, where she starts to broach the subject of clearly communicating too that, you know, this cloning idea is being publicly discussed. This isn't like a black ops off the book thing at the bare minimum. The first officer knows that this is an option on the table. Um, and says, you know, what are we going to do? And it's kind of a shitty way she brings it up because her poking the question, you know, and I know she has an interest in this because she obviously have has the hots for Trip, and she wants Trip to live. And this is how Trip is going to. This is what's going to have to happen for Trip to live. But Archer says, you know, I've decided to order Flocks to move forward with the process of cloning Trip, 
and then you know once her personal interest has been sated then she comes out with you know some vulcan high hoarseness of have you considered x y and z you know this is going to be a person we're putting together and and all the bad parts i mean so someone has to give voice to that within the episode they don't overemphasize it like that whole thing you brought up about archer's physical state goes unremarked uh and during the episode is merely a visual reinforcement of what's going on which the subtleness of that is part of why this episode is so successful in that um it's not making too much of the moral quandary it's allowing it just to happen and for the actors to sort of provide the drama in their actual dialogue but at the same time you do have to have someone say like give the in-universe context of like oh yeah well i know that Flocks told you this is a thing, but you haven't heard like this is totally illegal <laughs> on the planet. That thing is found like they do not let you do this uh, It's very controversial and it's expressly forbidden to which and, Archer and she says, has to be the one to bring it up because she's the only other character who would know that. Sure. And you know, Archer says, well, luckily for us, we're not uh, under the jurisdiction of the Spookians or whatever their name is. <laughs> Those people are not my supervisor. Uh, I don't even listen to my own boss. I can't even tell you the last time I talked to Admiral Forrest. I want to go back to uh, Archer's deterioration over the course of this and how rare it is in Enterprise specifically where they simply tell by showing instead of outright pointing out to the stupid members of the audience like, oh, you know, this has been keeping me up and it's just wrecking me and, and pulling me apart. It's so rare to let these things happen organically, uh, which I think brings much more impact than them waving it around in front of your face. They don't even have like Hoshi or Reed be like, hey, are you OK? You look like shit. And he'd be like, oh, you know, this is really banging me up and, and I'm having a hard time. It's just it's there. It's very obvious, uh, especially if you've watched any episodes prior and see normally how hammy these guys got to act on this stuff. And again, it's a script that rewards the actors and says, OK, do your craft, convey the story. Uh, we're not holding hands on this one. Yeah. Stand back and let you do your do your job. And uh, and they are they justifiably get good performances out of the people they need them. Um, the, the clone is created. We see the creation process. We see an adorable baby. I was hauled in to be an adorable baby in well, the baby even before scenes. that right you see the full lifespan of this beginning yeah. with flocks taking some blood out of uh, some neck juices from trip and then he pulls out what looks like a sea cucumber basically and he sprays it it's like this jellyfish and archer comes down to check on it and he goes oh well they're incredibly light sensitive and this is really where uh where the emotion starts because he peels back the curtain around the same tank. I think that they fucking cut the dog's brain open in. Right. And there's like a human fetus kind of moving around and you're like, Whoa, this is developing quickly. This Not is even happening. this is developing quickly. It's, uh, this is, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a father now and, and I've, you know, become keenly aware of the stages of life and this other stuff. But like, this you you are not creating just an organ farm like this is going to be a person. 
and your decisions moving forward seem ridiculous because they're like, well, you know, what, what, what are we going to do with this thing? Uh, where's it going to live? This and that. And they're like, you mean you don't plan to raise this in a coma so it never has to be inflicted with the curse of life to lose it eight days later or whatever this fucking timeline is? Because like you said, the next time they come in, Flox is holding a baby. And he is being super like, oh, adorable little baby. I'm going to feed you with this bottle. He's super into the being a parent. Which he is. Which which he is. And this has been sold at the start to say his natural lifespan is going to be 16 days. We'll be able to get the brain tissue out and he won't feel any difference. And he'll live the, his, the, the entirety of his natural lifespan. And that's like the moral framework where we're like, I, okay, this, yeah, it sucks that we're making a clone and it only lives for 16 days, but that's his natural lifespan. He's going to live it and we're going to happen to take this piece out of him so that we can fix Trip. Uh, we, we can live with that, right? Even that is horrific, though. Like, you're going to bring something up with full sentience that is going to witness its life literally lash, like flash before it. And we made a joke about... Uh, Rick and Morty here a little bit ago, but like that's a clip out of the show is somebody yeah. knows something he needs. He gets a little bit of matter from it and he has this thing cycle through age and it's like super horrific to watch being aware of your own limited mortality. Like what a cruel joke that is. So yeah, the, the choice to not just put this thing in its own coma and grow it. And then two weeks later, get the piece you need right off the bat. That seems terrible. But yeah, like you said, there is a small buffer that, we're not going to have to sacrifice it. It just gets to grow up. We'll grab the thing we need. NBD. Off we go. And they do a great job with the B plot in this in really showcasing. Why not putting it in the coma made for the more interesting story? Then they could have even like provided a line to say we're going to have to, you know, allow him to grow up normally. So his brain matter will mature in a way that will make it compatible they they don't really address it at all except to say it is just going to be doing this. But do you think it would have been helped by like a justification as to why they had to? I like that. They just kind of decided to treat him like a person, no matter what I... like a moral guilt, you know, like we have to. I think if there's anything this episode missed, it was, it would have been that point where Archer reluctantly agrees to it under the stipulation that they don't curse it with life. And Flock says, no, we have to let this thing mature. We, ha It's going to have to become aware of its own sort of Damocles, that this thing can only live for 14 days. And that needs to be what really tears Archer up. It's like, we're going to give something life that is going to die before the milk in my refrigerator goes bad. And that that really be what sets him down this uh, this dark spiral that he's in. When when the child starts to mature, we get some voiceover from Flox. He's he's going through the steps of fatherhood with it. He's you know seems to be pretty content. We get a child trip that is reading uh, a story with Hoshi and uh, Flox, and that's when you get your first complication, which is. This clone is not merely a clone of Trip in the sense that uh, he's physically resembles him, but he also is adopting his memories. His memories have 
this is actually something Flox points out. Like, this could be a really big discovery about humans. But apparently, you guys do transmit some amount of your uh, your your memory, your being, as a genetic element, which is not uncommon in other species. It's just not something that's necessarily been understood in humans. And sure enough, Clone Trip, he's speaking with a southern accent. He remembers Trip's childhood. You know, he remembers the, th- the things that Child Trip did. And as he gets older, more and more memories of Trip's life integrates into his own experience. Again, all sorts of red lights going off like, no. Yeah, it's a perfect like first complication of like we're going to teach him to read. Like even that part almost goes back to uh, cogenitor. Like why? Again, if they had like a line like we have to have his brain develop. Sure. We have to like do this because that way the, the tissue is compatible. It's an Atoshi down there like, I'm a teacher. I love to teach. I love children. I'm going to emotionally bond with something that is going to be dead in nine days. Like, ee. Um also they don't really mention it, but boy, what a what a discovery for section thirty one or any nefarious organization out there like we can kidnap any valuable uh, intelligence asset. Not even get kidnap. A, get his blood. Get his neck juice. Get a get a couple drops of blood, and we can, with the miracle of this space slug, recreate it to one to one scale, and have all the access to information we need, with no chance of anybody knowing anything. Like, is this how? What was his name in Nemesis? Shinzon? Is that what Shinzon was? Was he just a fucking sea cucumber that the Romulans got their hands on? Yeah, this is like the ultimate Romulan tools. Also, and again, you can put this right up there with uh, Federation post-mortem revival techniques. The trans warp drive that they just had laying around after, uh, you know, uh, Paris and... Janeway became slug people and had babies like any crew member dies. You got a little of their blood on file. You can clone them real easy, provided the enzyme blockers could have stuck around. So real dangerous technologies that they're dealing with here in terms of being able to destroy and invalidate future stories. I think the emotional punch that comes with this episode is good. And if I had another criticism, it's by the end. Uh, there isn't any sort of dialogue of we are never fucking doing that again. I think you have to, though. I mean, like it, this clearly was emotionally devastating experience. And also, like Flash says from the start, people barely like knowledge of this does not leave this planet. Uh, it, is, it is a closely guarded secret that he happens to be aware of. I could have gone for Archer saying, scrub the log of all occurrence of this. Uh, we will never let this happen again. Just something to plug that that hole. So Flax briefs Archer on the fact that this this kid who they've named Sim uh, is has all of Tripp's memories. And he's going to have to be spoken to about what what he is. Well, he starts asking where his mom and dad are. Yeah. Well, he's asking the hard questions and Archer feels like he's got to intercede and do so. So they they start with him going to the launch bay with him with his model that he was playing with in uh, Broken Bow. 
What didn't Archer bring on this trip with him? I was about to say, like, because right next to Hoshi's fucking outfits <laughs> and the shit that they packed for this. Like, <laughs> bro, what are you doing? Earth but, is going to be destroyed if we're not successful. Everybody's, you know, getting rid of all the junk and only bringing on the important stuff. Hey, you know what? I might have a need to fly a fucking kite, <laughs> a space kite in my claustrophobic little submarine of a spaceship. Let me bring this. So uh, after some rather pointed dialogue where Sim starts to ask, like, OK, listen, I know something's fucky. Can you please explain this? He takes him back to the sick bay and reveals Tripp's actual body to him and explains these memories you're having are his. You are have been created. And young Trip takes it very well. He actually just kind of accepts the state of affairs and says, I get it now. This is all this is a rationale and explanation for what is happening to me that I'm willing to accept. And there is no drama, really. Yeah, because Archer doesn't say. And by the way, you are going to be an old man in eight days and you're going to be dead in 10 days. Do they specifically ever say that on screen to him? No. Big miss. But but he does know. Like, there's a couple dialogue scenes here coming up where he's clearly aware of his limited lifespan. Yes. And, and so... Enough to the point where he starts trying to find a way to cheat death, doing his own research, and becomes aware of the uh, protein blocker. I feel like... Yeah, that is a miss. He, I, actually, it makes sense that he knows, and it makes sense they would tell him. Uh, but it, the fact that that seems to have been a revelation that happened off screen, I don't like that. It's a cheat, and again, it's another. I think it would have been another great opportunity for Scott Bakula to have to visibly torture himself on screen and give this kid uh, a young version of his arguably best friend the bad news that you have a terminal condition. You're going to have to die. And I think the handoff there would have been <clears throat> uh, Sim taking it in stride and saying, well, you know, makes sense. I, I grew up to this point that fast. Uh, you know, good kid actor too. In these, in these he, scenes, all of the kids were good. Uh, the yeah. youngest one, his name was Shane sweet, which the most memorable thing from him outside of this was that he played, uh, do you remember when there was a little kid on Married with Children for a while? His name was Seven? Yes. That's him. Okay. So it was a working child actor at the time. <laughs> yeah. I looked at the rest of his IMDb and he's not had a rewarding career since. It's a lot of voiceover work and uh, looping. But, uh, you know, you could have had Sim just be oddly at peace with it because his life had accelerated so fast up to this point, And that could have confused Archer a little bit, but letting Archer off the hook by avoiding the on-screen miserable talk of you'll be dead before my dog. <laughs> yeah. You'll be dead before my dog's next bowel movement, potentially. I, I, if only my dog only pooped every two weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the kid who plays him at this stage, which is like 11, 12 was my favorite in that, he just seemed to grasp things with a maturity of like, I am, I am someone else and I have memories and I know that's fucked. And he's the one that has to like 
He says, he says like, you know, you're born three days ago. And he says, says, I feel older in a way that feels like, man, that's good. That's good at that age to be able to like connect with the material like that and be able to act against adults in a way where I'm like paying attention to what you're doing, kid. Like, this is good. I can't um, really off the top of my head tell you any child actor that has done better than this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Especially kids from Stranger in, Things were like good well, in season one. Network TV. In, yeah. And the kids in Stranger Things aren't dealing with. I'm a clone of a man that's comatose and I'm being used for parts like. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough ask for a kid to like grasp the what's going on here and then be able to act against professional adult actors in a way that makes like allows him to compete. And he does a good job. And then you get teenage trip in the next scene. Who's well, before even that we've kind of glossed over the, the B plot, which is really the, the impetus behind why Archer was willing to sign off on this in the first place. And that is the, uh, the space, hazard that pulled them out of warp and caused this problem in the first place. This nebula has a bunch of magnet rocks. Magnets, how do they work? Well, (laughs) in this situation, they are being drawn towards the hull and they are slowly covering the Enterprise in a ugly crust that is not only cosmetic. uh, They find out that if they do not escape from this nebula soon, uh, the Enterprise is going to be fully consumed by this and it will never escape. And it's going to be game over mission fail. If only they had the ability to clone violent J. (laughs) They would have have not been flummoxed by that question. But (laughs) stuck with trip Tucker instead. Uh, The the teenage trip is working in, you know, as an engineer now uh, while wait because they have to wait until he reaches trips age. So they can't just do it right away. So you, you have more time of him just maturing Teenage Trip wants to fuck to Paul super bad. Can you blame him? I too, at seventeen years of age, would have been very interested. Forty-one years of age. (laughs) All the memories of you know her hanging her boobies over your head while rubbing your pelvic area. Plus, she's your boss. Plus, seventeen-year-old hormones. Wow. And that's where you get the first first indication that he knows his time is limited. Because like T'Pol puts him off by saying, well, I just want to get out of the situation before I like entertain you child. And he goes, I don't think I'm going to be around at the end of the present situation. You know, like he's got a fatalism to him. That's very trip. And that's about the point where you kind of start getting a grudge with T'Pol where it's like, come on, come on, go, go eat with this fucking kid. Go, go to the movie, go have dinner, whatever. I'm not saying you got an SSD here as a 17 year old, but like throw this guy a bone. Well, I think they build up to it though. And in a they way do, that's it's very so effective. Too late. <laughs> yeah. I, at the same time, I think this would have been an interesting to Paul's dirty secret to Paul, knowing this kid's going to be dead before uh, really has a chance to cause her any problems and being able to indulge fantasy which we have seen her do before you jump back to the Vulcan Cenobite episode. She's got a bad girl streak for a Vulcan. She was going off base at the Vulcan enclave and going to the, the jazz jazz clubs. She wants to flirt with these emotions. She wants to experiment. And that's something that the Vulcan Cenobites really preyed upon. I think this, 
And I'm not she, saying it would have been. She kind of does, though. I mean, she does exactly what you're describing. It's just more gentle. It's yeah. just slower. I it it would have been welcome to really see her use this guy as a sandbox. Maybe it would have painted her in a worse light. But again, I think the fact that he's uh, this miserable, ex- not miserable. Yeah, miserable. You know, he's living an OK life, but it's going to be a short life. Like, again, she could have indulged his. I think I like to Paul remaining more sympathetic. Pardon me. Remaining more sympathetic by the fact that she does not uh, abuse the situation and instead engages with it in a way that I would call authentic and and character developing. I think it's just a better use of the circumstance. I get what you're saying. It would have been interesting to see that like that kind of almost negative element to her flirtations. But instead of instead of allowing it to happen the way it does, I think it ends up doing way more for her as a character and trip, honestly, uh, as well. Indulgent, I think, instead of villainous would have been the way to look at that flip side, because she does deny herself uh, contact with him until the very end. Because she does choose to hold the sky at arm's length, even though she clearly has feelings for him uh, and knows that he is going to suffer this fate. She does some real great eye acting where she gets close to tearing up as she watches this guy that she, you can tell, would like to comfort and would like to spend time instead uh, do the Vulcan thing and stay detached. And it very clearly fucks her up. And that's going to be good growth for her moving forward. Because this is her forcing. I think this is her forcing her being forced to admit to herself. She does care about trip. She does want more. And not only is the real trip maybe going to die, probably going to die, but this version of trip is definitely going to die. And that's uh, watching someone she loves or likes or has feelings for die twice. So, no wrong way to handle that. They they could have gone the other way. Maybe this is the better way. Maybe the other way was a better way. Either way, uh, great framing. We finally arrive where Trip has reached, you know, the Connor Trenier age. So <laughs> the actor is back. Mm-hmm. And as I said, his performance, he's a little lighter. <laughs> he's Even a little with the fucking coma. Trip gets more screen time than Hoshi or Mayweather. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Real Trip is on screen more than Mayweather. Like whole ass in this episode, the 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 sim trip is a softer, gentler, but still trip character. He invites Reed down to the mess hall where he's having key lime pie, and he's like, "This is Trip's favorite dessert." Now I know why; it's delicious. Uh, and ex- explains a plan to uh, to get Enterprise out of the situation that they're presently in, to have the two shuttlecraft basically towed out. And to juice the engines of the shuttlecraft so it can generate enough pull to be able to pull this off and get Enterprise out before uh, the ticking clock hits midnight. Which is a beautiful way of demonstrating why it is that Tripp's presence is important on this mission. Right? Like, this is the part of the episode that justifies the moral quandary. Tripp is a brilliant engineer. He's the one who comes up with the idea in a clone form of how they're going to get out of this. His clone saves the day while the real one is incapacitated. Archer's 
decision to preserve that so that they can succeed in their mission, which is basically his driving impetus as the circumstance gets more complicated is essentially proven in this, in this, in the fact that it is trip that comes up with this idea and with, without, you know, much else going on, uh, this, this plan does ultimately get approved by T'Pol. Uh, but that scene where that uh, discussion happens, I think is probably where it's probably the best scene in the episode. And that's when he goes to DePaul's quarters to ask about like, Hey, is the captain approved my plan? And, you know, she, she says yes. And that's when he makes a confession about the feelings he's having that like, it's so it's such an interesting quandary as an actor. You're this guy. You have all of someone else's memories, but you have your own memories. And you know that you are, you know, in love with this person, but you have no concept of if it's that your emotions or someone else's emotions. And having to go and basically express that to them to say, like, I need you to help me understand if this is how I feel or this is how Trip feels. And like you said, the 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 Paul's reaction to that and quietly like trying to process that emotion without giving much too much away. It's like when she says, I can't answer that. It's like, wow, like you kind of like really found the spot to be in where it's like this has to be fucking bizarre. This has to be weird. Like, how do you handle that? Right. And she's all choked up and fucked up. Yeah. Whereas uh, Archer looks increasingly suicidal. Through every scene, uh, to Paul, looks like she's on the verge of bursting into tears closer and closer every scene. So <clears throat> this idea to send the shuttle pods out to tow Enterprise clear, uh, A, reinforces, like you said, why Trip is so important to the mission and worth this slippery slope they're playing with. And B, uh, we haven't mentioned the name Tuvox yet. But yeah, two dicks, two dicks, two dicks. But same deal. Uh, He is now a full fledged part of the crew going so far as to save everybody's life. And the plan works. They get free. Well, I I just before we leave the scene between him and T'Pol, I I can't over express how much I admire that scene. Connor Trenier. He's got to convey a really complex emotion. And it's like he's just leaning back against like a closet or something. And he's just like staring at T'Pol. But he's like kind of speaking very softly, trying to ask like trepidatiously, like, is there something between you two? Like, I need to know. I need context. Like, I have memories, but I don't know if I know everything. You know, like, do I know everything? Do I not? What do you know? Can you tell me why? It's the that is so hard to do in a way that like is powerful. And I, I watched it scene like three times just because I thought like he was great. And then her response to that, because again, she's supposed to be a character that doesn't convey emotion. So everything has to be very, very restrained, but she can't help but be moved by what's happening by this question, by this revelation that Trippa has these feelings or does he, or is, is, you know, like 
he talks about I'm it's not a teenage infatuation. That was two days ago. Like it's even there's even a bit of humor in it. Like the, the it's just so much better writing. Like compared to the fucking night at sick bay. It's like on a different planet, you know? Yeah. I the way you're viewing it's good and correct. Uh I took it more as <clears throat> this is really her being confronted with the fact that she has these emotions. Yeah, that's another way to read it. Absolutely. I think you're right. Uh, and that she's more concerned with the way she's feeling than with the concerns this guy is putting out about the way he's feeling. And if he's saying this, then basically her, I don't want to say dirty dreams, but her her shameful ambitions and desires uh, could be realized and happiness or whatever her fantasy is is within reach as you mentioned the plan works enterprise is going to get out of the circumstance uh, sim is a hero but they transition immediately into the hero the reward (laughs) taking this to 11 Mm -hmm. because the next scene is in sick bay you have flocks flocks has been in tears prior to this scene you can tell there's there's still moisture in his eyes. He is very upset. Archer comes in. Flock says there's been a complication. Sim will not survive the transplant of the neural material to trip. This is where uh, a, a solid Arnold Schwarzenegger, you son of a bitch. Let me read between the lines here, because this really seems to be hitting Flocks extra hard for a guy who knew how all of this was going to play out, which should have been one way or another. This dude's dying. And I think by the fact that Trip is I'm sorry, that Flocks is as fucked up to the degree by this revelation uh, tells me that he knows about the secret enzymes and that was going to be a playbook he was going to spring later. Yeah, like he knew about it and he was going to mention like, okay, now that we've got Trip squared away, we've got a way to try and save this guy. So let me give it a go because what do we got to lose? And now he knows that that's not a play that he's going to be able to to bring out. Not only a play he can't bring out, but something he might have been secretly betting on that his for all intents and purposes, foster son, which gets pointed out by the end here, uh, that he might have had that 11th hour <clears throat> win uh, miracle to be able to save him. So he goes, hey, yeah, uh, turns out I was wrong, which, you know, happens pretty frequently to terrible emotional extents here. Uh, we cannot. It's going to kill him. And then Archer's like, great. Well, not only did we bring in something to die 15 days later, but now. Uh, the act of us harvesting the organs, taking the spare parts we needed to fix trip will kill this guy. There is nothing natural about this whatsoever at this point, And we are. Yeah, that thin moral precipice you are standing on of we're going to do a cloning, but it, it's he'll live through that process. And maybe like flocks, like you said, he's got kind of a backup plan where he's like, I maybe I can also like jam the other W in here. And I like that. It's like. Flock said from the start, this is all unknowns. I don't know how this is all going to work, but it's the best I got. And so it's like an understandable error of like, well, no, there's a human sure. 
this is never done before. So I didn't know it wasn't going to go this way. So they get uh, Sim in a little meeting and they say, here it is. Uh, we need to do this thing and it's going to kill you. You're going to die anyways. Well, he, they don't say that. Sim actually brings it up and says, well, whether I die on the table or I die two days later, what's the difference? Except I'm trip. I'm industrious. I'm a voracious reader. I fix problems. And wouldn't you know, or maybe you do know about the research that we <laughs> luckily have in our databases for the super secret shit that, as we've mentioned several times now, there is a enzyme blocker or some other space juice uh, that can be administered to me to halt my aging and I can live as an adult like a real boy. <clears throat> the the question is unanswered in that scene as to what direction they go in and then instead cut to the second best scene which is trip uh, which is sim in trip's quarters and archer coming in more haggard more five o'clock shadow to have a confrontation with sim about how this is going to go this is where Archer's really at his finest and he has to commit to the moral sin. He needs trip. If there's any evidence that he needed that that decision was right, it is literally that trips clone just bailed them out of the circumstance they're in. I must have a trip Tucker on the ship, whether it's you or the one that's brain damaged. I need one, obviously. The the chance that I am going to not have any because of the moral complication I have invited into this circumstance cannot bring come be brought into my decision making process. I need a trip. Literally, Earth is at stake. If that means that I have to kill you, if I have to be a murderer, I am willing to do that because it's that important. If you're going to if that's the line you're going to take you're you have to commit and they actually have Archer like commit to this without hesitation. He's he's angry. He doesn't like it. His he's his the fact that he's uh pissed off in the scene is really because he knows this is a terrible thing he's doing. But at the same time, he's in Sim's face saying, "Yeah, I'll strap you down to that gurney at gunpoint. Don't make me murderer." is to say is a threat to say, I will be one if you don't do this willingly, which I feel this entire exchange plays out looking directly at the episode two Vix. Yeah. All the stuff that the memes, <clears throat> the criticisms, which I have no idea what degree that had visibility in the Star Trek community in 2003. Like if that was as well known or as controversial, it was, uh, I, feel like it was. I, I feel like this is all directly confronting that and doing it the right way this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one thing for Janeway to make the decision to kill Tuvix to save her other two crew members. Provided you have a commitment to the bit there that you can justify within the story. And the madness of Tuvix was the unjustifiable murder at the end. Like there was no viable reason to do this, except Janeway just wanted her friends back and didn't want this new person. 
And that's what made it so wild to witness as, as well as like the indifference of the rest of the crew to what is clearly a murder happening in front of them. In this Archer is a clear necessary motivation. That motivation has been justified to him to his face already during the episode. There, the, the risk reward is very much in favor of him killing Sim and saving trip. And the stakes of the mission are so high that that otherwise morally unjustifiable action is, at least in part, something you can have your main character commit to to say they could take this step and it would it still works. This is still a protagonist move. It's just they a dark also one. swap uh, some important facts with Tuvix. In Tuvix, Tuvix is alive. Tuvix will live just fine. It is the uh the emh's wild play that maybe i can split the sky apart and both sides will survive that's the fringe science that seems like the real risky gamble you've got a guy who is going to live and who is a new life and a new you know person and you're gonna risk uh killing him for a low probability hail mary and in this uh, yeah, there is talk of an enzyme blocker that could allow Sim to live, but harvesting his brain for trip is the sure shot is the better bet. Mm-hmm. And I think they could have kind of called attention to the fact and say, w- you know, what you want is a pipe dream. You shouldn't even be dying, but it's weird complications between human physiology and sea slug that we, we can't trust. Maybe the enzyme will save you. But probably not based on. But they do know. say that. Like Archer says, like Flax is low, low probability this would work at all. But like, I know I can save Trip. I don't think we can save you. And it's one thing if it's a free roll, but it's not because it's going to take a day to synthesize the the uh, the enzyme, and by then we will not be able to save Trip, and then we just be completely fucked. So we're very at big, the we have to make the call. Very big of Sim not to say. Well, what the fuck? You know, I just saved the ship and and this is my reward is fucking harvesting my brain. So a plus scene there. uh, And it ends with Archer saying. Yeah, don't force my hand on this. It sucks, but this is how it has to be again. If only Twilight had not been a it was all a dream episode. If only Archer had been able to bring back visions of destroyed Earth the fucking mm. crazed outburst mm. he could have gone ape shit and said i've seen what happens when we lose i've seen earth destroyed i cannot let that happen i will not let your life stand in the way of you know however many billions and just really a moment of just insane rage or something it raged the circumstance he finds himself in yeah you know like he's never mad at sim he's mad at the fact that he is left with the necessity of killing him yeah. And that is how he's going to prevent 7 billion humans or whatever from dying. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that, like, oh, you're right. That is that would have been just the cherry on fucking top. If he like went into that 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 rant and part of the scene to say, like, you don't you're not burdened with what I you want to talk about memories. I'll I'll give you a memory that I've been burdened with. I know what happens if we don't make it. I know what happens if I don't have Trip Tucker. I know the consequences of failure and they are too high. And if that, if success has to come at your life, that is a price that I am willing to pay. If I'm willing to torture space pirates at this point, 
Uh, you can go to. I think it was uh, good in the episode that at no point does Archer's BFF relationship with Trip ever really factor in. In fact, he's very resistant to the idea of Sim trying to take over Trip's life. That's how the scene no, no, really no, starts it's, on it's a negative. It's never flight. like. Uh, it's never like. Because that's what it was again in Tuvix was Tuvok was my best friend and I'm picking my best friend over you. It's not trips my my best friend and I'm not I'm, I'm picking trip over you. It's the mission Earth. The war with is indie. That is the motivation on all of this. And I think they actually. Again, they don't say it, but I think I could see a way that this would have played out where. Archer does not give permission to clone Trip if they were not in the middle of the Zindi plot arc. Find another way. Yeah, he's just like, if we we weren't in circumstances we in, I wouldn't be doing this, but we are where we are, and I need Trip. Uh, Archer leaves. Wouldn't you know it? The doors aren't locked. There's an unscheduled activity in the shuttle bay, and it's Sim getting ready to uh, peace out. He's locked him out of the control, and obviously Trip's a great engineer. Sim's got all that. There's no way they're going to be able to stop this guy. But instead of uh, skipping town with one of the two shuttle pods to go live out his life on his terms, Sim sticks around, and Archer has another good scene with him in the shuttle bay where uh, we learn a couple important things. Primarily, there's no potty on the shuttles. you got to pee in a bottle. Trip remembers shuttle pod one. Trip confirms what I said, and it's that shuttle pod one was a fate worse than death. It was <laughs> hell. It was a trash episode. And if there's any redeeming quality to shuttle pod one, it is the cameo it makes in this episode where he says, you know, I thought about getting out of here, but there's nowhere to go. There's no habitable planets. Uh, I would die alone, an old man in space with a non-functioning bathroom. And the only way it could have possibly been worse is to be stuck with that fucking creep. Read. <laughs> But he says the, the the thing that really prevented him from going was that in the end, he remembers what happened to his sister. And he says that, like, this is my sister as much as Trips. So let's dispose of this idea that somehow these memories aren't as mine, as much mine as they were his. And I remember how angry I was. I remember how desperate I am to prevent that from happening to anybody else. So that means if I've got to die, then that's that's what's up. Real hero shit. Yeah. So at this point, Trip <clears throat> Sim is the good guy. Uh, he is the hero. And the next line of my notes is fucking to Paul. You better get in there. <laughs> you better S this guy's D. <laughs> you better. The hero needs a reward to Paul. Yeah. <laughs> like. You know, the one and only time where I'm like, it's time for se- it is time for sexy time. Get him in that decon room. Let's Get go in Vaseline out. Let's Bring go all of your toddler clothing. Get your fucking pond far cold or whatever. Time to get these pipes clean. Instead, uh, Sim gets some quality time with fucking Porthos. Pet my dog until I'm ready to kill you. Okay, got it. What a consolation prize. But wouldn't you know it, just before the the the, the date with Destiny, T'Pol does arrive, conveys her respect to say, you know, hey, the crew and I will miss you. 
He's like, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed the way. Hold on. No more dialogue. We got to make out and goes right in there. And this is your gradual play in what you're talking about of like, this is a freebie for T'Pol, right? Like this dude's about to go die. And I really want to make out with Trip. I could make out with Sim. <laughs> and also he would, you know, something special for him. You know, like I haven't made out with Trip. I've made out with you. At you this go to point, your death with that on your, with that, with that, like, got it. <laughs> where I think there could have been guilty indulgence uh, motivations from T'Pol earlier had she pursued a relationship with him in the side several days ago, starting several days ago. Uh, but I think here and now, this is, uh, I love Trip and Trip is going to die. I, In terms of Sim, like she sees Trip and Sim, obviously. Uh, I think this is more motivation for, I'm going to try to do something for this guy and less about doing something for myself. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's 50-50. This guy I think, is it's, gonna I think die. it's more 60 40 to what you said to say he she is doing this for him. But I think it's 40 percent for her. Sure. I And I love him. Right. Yeah. This is the guy I love. It's not him exactly. It's still him. He is going to die. And this is a goodbye kiss for him. Uh, I like that there are different ways to tell this story and that I cannot. I cannot uh, tell you that any way other than the way that they did it would have been necessarily better. It's all good. All of it would have worked. And uh, again, just an airtight script. I feel like it's a Rubik's cube and there's many different ways to solve it and they're all good. So off he goes and then we get a nice emotional punch for old Floxy boy. He has a moment to commiserate with his son, foster son. Where he's got to choke down what circumstances have presented him with. Uh, Sim's a trooper the whole way. Has nothing but good things to say. Willingly lays down on that bed and tells Trip, you owe me one. And then you cut back to the funeral. Which, you know, let's talk about Phlox for a moment. He is a father. <clears throat> Before this, uh, we've shown that Phlox's fatherhood is very important to him. Uh, in terms of his own damaged relationships and efforts he's made to try to repair those. Uh, this guy, Sim, he raised as a son. I think there was a desire to have an 11th hour win, like, ah, by the way, I can we can have our cake and eat it too. And we can have two trips. How wonderful will that be? Uh, but not only were your calculations wrong and this guy has to die now, you are going to kill your son. They don't specifically say that, but again, the information's there to read between the lines. So uh, how great does that have to feel for Phlox that uh, this is? And, and that would be something very interesting, I think, to carry on down the road. Not a resentment, but just uh, something sticking with him. Like, I killed my son for you. And that's something that's always in the back of my head. So uh, again, being a, a parent, this was all very uh, emotional through here. Uh, and, you know, the, the surgery goes well, and we pick back up with where we opened, which is Sim laying in the casket in uniform. Interestingly, throughout all of this, Sim was always in civilian clothes, never in uh, Trip's command uniform. 
But now uh, in the casket, he is fully recognized as Starfleet. They load him in the old photon torpedo, opting not to keep him around for spare parts, which I think would have had to cross some minds like (laughs) (laughs) maybe Trip's going to get stabbed in the heart. Maybe it's a lung. You know, you never know when you're going to run into some lung stealing. We've seen that. Mm hmm. Yeah, it I, it ends on kind of the note I think it has to, which is a lot's changed. Archer, flocks they they made some choices that they have to live with. To Paul, she knows things that you know Trip doesn't. Trip was just unconscious the whole time. Trip's left with them like I don't know what happened, but apparently like you guys cloned me to save me. Like that's a lot to 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 bear, and you know it's all something we'll discuss as the season goes on. But for now we out. So I like it. It's always a shame with these episodes where there's an opportunity to pick up a new character and potentially keep them. And you can't because budget constraints on special effects or whatever, just, you know, cast salary Uh, in a book. You might've been able to have Sims stick around maybe until the end of the the story. Uh, What if they would have had two miracle workers? It could have been a deadlock situation where, Trip really did end up dying later on, and Sim has to decide if he wants to be Trip or continue being Sim. All sorts of interesting sci-fi questions, but for the one episode that we get this, I think they hit every beat on the right note, and it's rare that I can congratulate a script to this level, but by golly, uh, they accomplished it. I cried by the end. You know, that was a real tearjerker. So hats off not only to the cast, but, you know... uh, LeVar Burton handled everything well from his end. Nothing stood out as bad. Uh, just an A plus, man. What are we watching next week, sir? Mm, moving on from here, we're going to be going into Carpenter Street. There's a bunch of fucking police cars and, you know, very clearly Earth. Archer and Paul travel back in time to stop the Zindi reptilians in a 21st century Detroit. I was about to say these police cars look like some fucking RoboCop shit. We just went back in time. We did Carbon Creek. Well, we, we just we, we, we just we, fucking went to the old West Westworld or whatever you end up naming that episode. Like the Zindi plot arc, the Zindi crisis is not a hall pass to tell every zany, stupid, far fetched fucking story you want. What's more dangerous, the Delphic Expanse or Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> What's more Tune dangerous? In next week. What's more dangerous? Um, I, I, I can't wait to physics. Ex- physics uh, speed. What, what, what are those fucking? What do they call the physics, physics fuck- spheres or whatever? Like the the, the, the temporal and not the the spatial anomalies or Detroit potholes <laughs> at high speed. I cannot wait to spend next week explaining to our international viewers how dangerous Detroit is. I don't want this fucking zany time travel bullshit. Like, I got to take the good with the bad, my friend. And we thank all of you out there for taking the good with the bad and listening to us through, through our praising of episodes and preparing to watch Carpenter's Rick Berman and Bran Braga too. You know, this is going to be a fucking turkey. (laughs) And uh, we will feast on this turkey when we see you next week.